How recently have you eaten a Hot Pocket in your mother's basement? Um, I have never eaten a Hot Pocket, and um, my mother didn't have a basement. On the Tesla Q podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended for and should not be used as financial, investment, or trading advice. Research associated with fiscal decisions should be conducted elsewhere. The host of the show possesses no license or credentials to warrant accepting advice based on what is heard on the Tesla Q podcast. Additionally, even though the host and guests may hold positions in companies discussed on the show, they don't have insights into the next time step of the simulation. Therefore, do not make any financial decisions based on the contents of this podcast. Big thank you to everyone who's listened to part one of the interview with Tesla Charts so far. Uh, episode two is coming up. Dare I say that the, the response has been off the charts. And in Tesla chart news today for their price chart, there was a lot of red on that today. It was down $45, uh, just under 13% on the day. Uh, in podcast news... I now have a, a link available on the Square Cash app if you would like to provide some money to help help uh, show that you value the podcast and want it to go forward. That would help defray some of the costs. Absolutely not a tax-deductible contribution. Uh, but if you go to the Square Cash app and search for Tesla Q Podcast, that's T-S-L-A-Q Podcast. Or if you go to a browser and type in cash.me slash Tesla Q Podcast, you'll get there. Uh the big reason for the share price drop today was the 8K, which included news of a 7% layoff of Tesla's full-time workforce. Keep in mind that that doesn't include the contractors, so in reality, it's probably more than a 7% reduction. Also keep in mind that the reason that they are laying people off is because they don't have adequate demand at their current price points to become or to sustain as a profitable company. So keep that in mind and with that get ready to listen to part two of the interview with tesla charts before we get into this tq i i really appreciate being on the show and i'd like to reiterate um your disclosures that nothing that i say on this podcast should be construed as investment advice uh, i'm not a registered investment advisor i don't manage anybody else's money but my own um and nothing i say uh, here or on twitter should ever be construed as that's something that you should make an investment decision on. Uh, how closely do you follow Elon Musk's other businesses, uh, particularly the boring company and SpaceX, since Neuralink is just just now getting started? And how much relevance do you think there is to following those in relation to the Tesla Q story or the Tesla story, if you prefer? Yeah, so I, I clearly followed Solar City very closely after my realization. And, uh, and the birth of my obsession. And I've clearly, you can't um, separate Tesla from SpaceX and Boring Company because Elon doesn't. Um, you know, if you take Solar City as an example, SpaceX owned a huge amount of Solar City bonds. And Elon was the chair of Solar City while being the chair of Tesla. And Tesla bought Solar City. And Elon had bought some of the bonds. Uh, and in hindsight, we learned that. The funding for those bonds was most likely a further pledging of his solar city shares. And so to the extent that Elon commingles all of his businesses, and of course there was the famous Wall Street Journal article on the boring company SpaceX tunneling accusations, uh, which is a, a wonderful coincidence. Um, and so to the extent that Elon commingles the businesses, you can't decouple Tesla from the other 
businesses. Um, but I think there's a, a more important reason to follow those businesses, which is Elon's ability to access capital rests in large part, I believe, on Elon's ability to convince Wall Street and, and other moneyed investors that um, he's a genius and he's a disruptor and these companies are changing the world. And so if Tesla can't raise funds, uh, I believe that significantly imperils the value of the equity in Tesla, potentially. Um, and so to the extent that Elon can't raise funds in his other businesses, you can read a clue into his ability or lack thereof, potentially, to raise funds for Tesla. And so the part of Elon's empire that I have been watching most closely uh, is SpaceX and its three attempts to raise capital this year, um, all three of which appear to have been less than ideally successful relative to what their ambitions were. There was the, the equity raise of $500 million earlier in 2018 that went half unfilled, if, if the filings are true. Um, there was this loan attempt um, with several underwriters. I think it was first Goldman Sachs and then ultimately Bank of America, where they had initially intended to raise $500 million and then opted to $750, but from the last reporting, only raised $250 million. Uh, that's unclear to me who lent the money, if the money was lent, how much was lent, because it hasn't been updated. And then the most recent strange equity raise the day after the boring company story broke on uh, in the Wall Street Journal. Uh, that raise appears to have only been about half full uh, as well. And so to the extent that those suboptimal attempts to raise funds for SpaceX indicate a potentially impaired ability of Elon to raise money for Tesla, then I'm very interested in those other companies. Um, and so, yeah, that, that's, that's the extent of my interest in them. Yeah, and... and in regards to those less than full fundraising rounds, uh, those seem to have played a role just this past week with the 10%, approximately 10% layoffs of the SpaceX workforce. Uh, does that play in any, do you have any other commentary about that layoff? Yeah, so first of all, I, I take no pleasure in people losing their jobs. Um, you know, it's sad. Um, those are, uh, I've worked at large companies, and um, you know they're the victims in some of this. I, I think, and it's unfortunate. Um, there's a reason why management is entrusted with awesome responsibility and compensated so richly. It's because their decisions impact the livelihood of tens of thousands of people, and so um, the layoff of of the SpaceX workers is is unfortunate, um, and to the extent that it reads into Tesla, of course, it's interesting. Uh, but those are real people uh, with real livelihoods that aren't in this Tesla, Tesla Q, uh, Twitter debate uh, or saga. Um, they're real people trying to pay real bills. And so I, I would start my answer by saying um, it, it's certainly I'm very empathetic um, to those people. Um, Tesla Q didn't do that to those people. I think um, the people that manage SpaceX are ultimately responsible for uh, the success of the firm and, and the livelihood of, of their employees. But yeah, it's, it's not a happy day. And if, if Tesla Q were to happen, uh, in other words, if Tesla were to, um, to have financial difficulties or um, a significant drop in the stock price or um, 
or go bankrupt, um, there's no question that there would be collateral damage um, to the many good employees at Tesla who believe in Tesla's mission and come to work every day trying to build uh, great cars. So that's my answer to that. All right. A uh, couple weaker over the past few weeks, there's been the, the Starship Hopper that was built in Boca Chica, Texas. Uh, obviously, that was a huge boon to your Photoshop uh, template. Uh, but do you have any other thoughts on that besides the Photoshop? And you can get into the, in the different Photoshop things that you did with it as well. Yeah, I, I have to tell you that's one of the strangest parts of the story. You know, one of the best things and most frustrating things at the same time about Tesla Q is just how weird it is. Um, and just when you think it can't get any weirder, it gets a little weirder. I have no idea what's going on in Texas. Uh, if that thing that's being constructed outside in Texas is capable of hopping between stars, um, you could count me as surprised, and I'll tip my hat to Elon because clearly it's way more innovative than I perhaps give him credit for. Um, by my unprofessional observation, my amateur observation, it appears to be a, a water tower wrapped in tinfoil. Um, but that's me, and I'm just biased. Um, but I've had a lot of fun with Photoshop. I've added Photoshop to the Tesla Church account as a repertoire. Um, uh, I learned Photoshop from my good friend that I mentioned earlier that sort of partners with me on on some aspects and many aspects of, of this account. And I've fallen in love with it and become obsessed with it. And so I've tried my best to become a better and better Photoshopper and, and I really enjoy it. And so I thought I would work it in. And, and it's sort of part of the humor part of the Tesla Charts account. I think that the last one I did with the rocket in, in, um, in Texas was I, I think I filled it with M&Ms. Um, just because it's funny. I, I have no idea what's going on out there. If somebody can explain it to me, I'm all, all ears. I, I, I would wager enough money to materially negatively impact my lifestyle that that is not a Starship hopper. Uh, I, I will say it's definitely not intended to go to between stars. Uh, I think the intent is to do short hops, maybe up to a kilometer or two kilometers. I actually watched a pretty good video put together by Everyday Astronaut who follows the space industry, SpaceX, NASA, Blue Origin, etc. Uh, he's got a YouTube channel, uh, and he he explained what the what the idea is of that hopper. I'm not certain from looking at it that that vehicle that we've seen in the pictures is what is going to actually be test flown. Uh, the the engines at the bottom were definitely not fully functioning engines and i have no idea where the fuel tank was supposed to be and how they were going to get fuel to the quote-unquote engines but uh it's definitely not intended to go beyond the upper atmosphere that's that's certain so this makes a great point then like why call it a starship hopper um it's very clear from elon's tweets that that's what he calls it starship hopper is you know being built and things like that it, it's it's i think Unless he's playing a big joke, it's a bit deceptive, don't you think, to call it a Starship Hopper? Uh, my understanding is that uh, the Starship is intended to be built, and it kind of it's landing rather than being like the spaceship boosters that just land vertically with the engines on. 
the starship is intended to somewhat glide down, sort of more like the space shuttle or an airplane. So there's some. So this hopper is part of the initial phase of testing that method of landing. It's to eventually factor into the starship, and this is just the hopper portion of the testing. So I think it it may be they may actually intend to fly what they built there, but I I have doubts about it based on the apparent quality of the build. Let's um, take a moment to reflect on how ridiculous the last two minutes of our conversation has been, and how much Elon has won by changing the narrative. Because you and I are talking about this tinfoil wrap water tower on the Mexican border in Texas, and wondering whether it's actually a starship. That's a, a very good point. And similar to that, there was the tweet last week uh, that showed the DeLorean hovering, and he said that the Roadster would do something like that. Um, I, I do think a lot of his actions recently are in, intentionally for the purpose of distracting Tesla Q. Uh, I definitely think that he pays attention to us, and to some extent, I think he, he is trying to distract us from the the true story behind Tesla, which is almost all about the cash. Uh, getting back to the interview, what are some of your thoughts about the doxing of Montana Skeptic? And have you experienced doxing attempts yourself? And you can go into depth on that. Sure. So I think the doxing of Montana Skeptic was a mass and the subsequent telephoning of his superiors um, by apparently Elon himself. I think that was a massive mistake on Elon's part. Uh, I think it has backfired substantially. And if you look at the changing tone and substance of the previously fawning media coverage of Elon, I think you're starting to see a change in that the origin of that change, I suspect, when this is all done and historians go over the record, probably began or at least accelerated with the doctrine of Montana. And here's why. If you're running a great company that's super exciting and filled with growth and making lots of money and has amazing future prospects, you would spend zero time on a bunch of nobodies on Twitter who occasionally say things about your company that you don't like. Um, so to me, it's very strong evidence that things aren't well in Tesla. That's just my personal opinion. If things were super great inside of Tesla at that time and today, you wouldn't be so obsessed with Tesla Q. I suspect that history will show that he was as obsessed with Tesla Q as he appears to be because Tesla Q more often than not, does a pretty good job of revealing the truth uh, about what's actually going on there. Um, and so I agree with you. I do think he follows Tesla Q close off. Clearly he does. He, he knew who Montana Skeptic was. I mean, Montana had, I think, 5,000 followers uh, when he called his boss. Now, I want to be careful to say that there's no proof that Elon himself participated in the doxing of Montana, but it's pretty clear that he certainly use the information that the doctors generated. Uh, and similarly with, I believe, Skabushka and, and his brother at, at Volkswagen, quite famously, Elon apparently 
according to the reporting, called the CEO of Volkswagen to complain about this employee's brother. Um, that tells you the mind share that he's putting towards this and, and perhaps a misallocation of that mind share that, that doesn't have too many good explanations. Um, so I think that the doxing of Montana will be a turning point in this story when it's rewritten, backward-looking. Um, and then to your question around doxing attempts at me, I, I fully, I am daily receiving hack attempts into my Twitter account. Um, interestingly, when I published the first VIN chart after market close on a Friday, the level of bot activity, doxing attempts, and so on achieved new heights for me to the point where I've had to take extra layers of security. I mean, ultimately, if I'm doxed, my plan is to just ignore them. I, I, I work for myself. I'm an entrepreneur. Um, I, I'm my own boss. I, I don't, you know, ultimately care. I'd like to preserve my identity just because of the violent nature of some of the threats. Um, and, you know, I, it's just not worth it. I don't see the risk-reward of coming out uh, and exposing who I am. So the world is not some great mystery. Most of my friends know that I do this. Um, so I, I don't really fear it. My plan is to just ignore it and let them scream at each other who they think I am. The vast majority of reporters will not publish um, information that has been extracted via doxing. And uh, I suspect that the vast majority of Tesla bulls would also respect that. And to be very clear, I'm against doxing bulls or bears um, in any form. If people want to remain, remain anonymous on Twitter, I think that's their right. Um, and so it is what it is. Uh, I have been the victim of many, many dox attempts, and they may have already doxed me. I don't spend much time perusing the forums looking to see whether they figured out who I am, because frankly, I don't care. All right. I, I agree that we, sh we should be against doxing on both sides. Uh, if people are anonymous, but they're respectable and respectful and aren't abusive in their interactions on Twitter, I have no problem with them remaining anonymous. Uh, I'm still anonymous here as TQ. So uh, moving back to the interview questions, there was a, a large increase in the accounts receivable in the third quarter of 2018. Uh, do you have any insights into that? And this, again, is a question from Twitter. So, any insights into that, TC? Yeah, I'm not the expert in accounting. Obviously, I chart a lot of the data from Tesla, so I've observed it. There are many, many, many anomalies surrounding the third quarter results. I have, uh, I nicknamed it the Immaculate Quarter. And in one of my photoshops, I have a mock-up of Elon as Jesus walking on water, having produced the Immaculate Quarter. Um, I don't happen to think that the accounts receivables is the largest mystery of Q3. I, there's plenty of ways to explain that, I believe, if, if the experts who've pontificated on Twitter are correct. For example, it could just be a fleet sale, um, or it could be a retroactive rebate from a big supplier. A lot of people hypothesize that it's Panasonic. Uh, but the, the accounts receivable bump to me, while interesting and potentially instructive, isn't the strangest thing about Q3. Uh, to me, the strangest thing about Q3 is how, in going from, I think, you know, 18,000 Model 3 deliveries in Q2 to 55,000 Model 3 deliveries in Q3, so some, you know, roughly 40,000 or 38,000 more Model 3s, the incremental profit improvement was a billion dollars. 
So that works out to be about $25,000 of contribution margin per incremental Model 3 delivered, which I find stupendously unbelievable. Um, and if you look at Q2 to Q3, there's not much that changed. You know, um, It didn't deliver more Model S or X substantially. Um, it was just another typical quarter at Tesla, except they delivered another 38,000 Model 3s. You find me a car where you can drop $25,000 in contribution margin to the bottom line per incremental delivery. Uh, boy, it's a real head-scratcher. So to me, that's the real mystery of the Immaculate Quarters. How did Tesla go from, by all, by many measures, one of the least efficient manufacturers of automobiles to perhaps the most efficient manufacturer of automobiles um, in one quarter? The same quarter where Elon tweeted the 420 fakeover, uh, where the chief accounting officer resigned one month after starting, where numerous other executives left. Um, the whole thing is just very weird and. and Within the pantheon of weirdness of Q3, the accounts receivable thing is interesting, but not the, not the strangest thing, at least for me. I, I think maybe to some extent, a lot of the contribution margin could, could be real. It might just be that they've grossly, grossly under, underinvested in their sales and services. And uh, I believe they've, they, I don't think they've put in too many new superchargers lately. So I've, I think part of it is maybe just that they have cut their investment into the business to the bare bones, which obviously will have impacts on down the road with their brand. As as we see many, many reports of people who have to wait months for new parts. Uh, how, how many of those people on Twitter do you think are real Tesla customers versus do you think there's any chance that the bulls are correct that these are fake accounts that Tesla Q's put out there to make Tesla look bad. Could you go into your thoughts on that? Sure. I, I have no doubt that some of them are fake. Um, but both sides are guilty of this and I, I'm just as guilty of sort of, um, thinking that the exception proves the rule kind of stuff. Um, so if 20 Twitter, uh, messages complaining about lack of parts and availability um, exist, and 18 of them are real and two of them are fake. Um, the bulls will take those two fake ones and try to obfuscate the other 18 by saying, look, these two are fake and the rest are fake too. Um, that's a fallacy of logic that both sides participate in. It, it, what happens when you swim in confirmation bias? And um, the mission of Tesla charts, uh, which I posted as my first tweet um and has remained as my pin tweet unchanged from the day i started this account has been to unabashedly serve the confirmation bias of tesla bears and so um i'm pointing out a, a real phenomenon which is part of the social media experiment which is we are extremely drawn to data that supports our hypothesis and if you're a tesla bull um you would view and pounce on two fake um parts complaints uh, as as an explanation for the totality of the 20 that you see. Uh, and we do the same on the other side. So to specifically answer your question, I'm convinced there is a massive part shortage and service scandal, really, at Tesla. Um, and I, I'm convinced that the vast majority of tweets to that effect are real. But I also don't doubt that there are some fake ones. And sometimes... Um, 
I wouldn't be surprised if a bull created a fake one uh, to trap Tesla Q, and that's actually a phenomenon that's known as bear bait, where uh, a Tesla bull will post a knowingly fake negative tweet about Tesla, and then once Tesla Q starts retweeting it, they'll come out and say, ha-ha, this was fake, Tesla Q does no background, does no research. Everything else Tesla Q says should be, you know, questioned. Um, and so there's all, all of that happens on Twitter. It's a freewheeling First Amendment, you know, circus at some point. And so, yeah, I, I don't doubt that some of them are fake. Yeah, Elon Musk is a big fan of the First Amendment, as he revealed on that recent 60 Minutes interview. Did you happen to see earlier this week that T. Rowe Price apparently cut their Tesla holdings by about 50%? And if so, do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, I saw the reports on it. Again, it's not something I follow too carefully. Um, I joke um, with my friend that um, it's hard for me to imagine how you could be both smart and knowledgeable and a long-term investor in Tesla, but that's just me and my bias. And so... I don't view the long-term holders of Tesla as particularly instructive um, for those reasons. And so the money manager at T. Rowe Price, who, you know, at one point apparently had a huge bet, uh, to me, I, I don't understand the logic of it. Otherwise, it, I wouldn't be a, a member of Tesla Q, but that's my own bias. And so um, the ownership structure of Tesla um, is interesting as it pertains to the share price. You know, it's a tightly held large cap with a very small float that has a large short um, short outstanding. So it, that, I think, is, a, is an explanation for the volatility of the stock. Uh, but since Tesla Church is primarily not an investment-oriented um, site for me, it's more about the narrative and the story and the history and what's really going on there than it is about investing. Um, I, it's not something I spent a whole lot of time thinking about. All right. Uh, next question is from Twitter. What would cause you to change your mind on Tesla and to turn you bullish? Or is there anything that you could envision at this point that would do such? There's very little that I can envision for the current form of the equity. You know, I think Tesla had a chance to be something different than it is, and it would have been potentially a compelling stock, although not at these valuations. You know, if they had focused on, as I think Mark Spiegel says quite, uh, quite often, if they had focused on producing low-volume, super-high-quality luxury cars, and potentially focused on being a design house instead of trying to be all things and vertically integrated and making their own car seats and all of the other sort of foolishness that I think has gone on there. Um, they could have carved out a very valuable niche in the same way that you know Porsche has, has stayed in its lane or you know McLaren or some of these super-high-end cars. I mean, those brands could have been that brand of tesla would have been very valuable you said something earlier about brand destruction i i do believe we're seeing massive brand destruction um as tesla deals with the lack of investment to support the growth ambitions of the mass market model three you know as a as a design house that makes ultra high performance ultra luxury evs that could have been a five or ten billion dollar company and and been very successful um, but the current equity with the, um, the capital structure that exists at Tesla, it's very difficult for me to imagine a scenario where, um, where that equity value has a sufficient um, risk-reward for me. I, I, I almost invest in those stocks anyway. I, as my 
portfolio reveal a couple months ago indicated I, I'm a bit of a, I do a lot of private investing and I own a lot of real assets and I'm, I'm a bit of a doomer. And so I like to have real things. Uh, and so I, I don't invest in the stock market as a rule. And so if I were to invest in the stock market, I, I think it would have to be a radically different form of the current Tesla for me to be interested in. And even then, I, I probably wouldn't. TC, are there any specific uh, members of Tesla Q or, or actions on Tesla Q that you'd like to give a shout out to? Yeah, you know, it's a, a bit of a difficult question to answer because if I start naming accounts and volume, I'm sure I'm going to leave somebody out and then I certainly wouldn't mean to offend anybody. But there's a couple of accounts that I really do love, um, and I'll tell you who they are and why. Just two or three. Obviously, there's dozens and dozens of great Tesla Q accounts that I that I follow every day. But I think Elon Bachman is probably the funniest guy in Tesla Q. Um, he's just got such a a brilliant turn of phrase every day. It makes me laugh. Uh, so I really like Elon Bachman's account. I think a raw intellectual horsepower. Um, Lewis Carruthers is unmatched. He's really one of the brilliant stars of Tesla Q. There's lots of great accounts. I mean, CPP is a great trader. Um, learned a lot by following his. Nicholas Stosh, we mentioned earlier, you know, really knows the, the SEC stuff inside and out. There's tons and tons and tons of great accounts. Um, but Elon Bachman in particular is probably my favorite, if I had to confess. Yeah, I believe he was the one that, that came up with the subsidy truffle hound yesterday. So that's one recent example that that shows that uh do you envision the quote unquote force that is tesla q twitter living on into the future beyond the tesla saga i highly doubt it i I would like it i've met some great people via twitter um this is such a unique situation um the tesla story and elon musk and solar city and spacex and boring and the saga, you know, Flufferbots and Bazelia and 420 funding secured and, you know, countless other uh, insanities, really. It's pretty hard to imagine that you could congeal the level of interest uh, for another story um, with the same intensity. And, and, you know, the intensity of Tesla and Tesla Q and the debate is what draws people into it, sort of like a magnet. And I, I anticipate that however this is resolved, um, when it is resolved, there will be a sort of hangover, people will disperse, um, and they'll move on to the rest of their lives. I think this occupies, I'm as guilty as anybody, uh, way too much of our lives as it is. It's kind of, that in itself is kind of ridiculous, uh, and I'm aware of it. Um, so I can't imagine that there wouldn't be a bit of a hangover. I, I also am quite convinced there will be long-time, lifelong friendships and relationships that are made from this um and you know i I, i'm also quite convinced that uh, many of the tesla bulls would be great friends if i ever got to know them Um, we just happen to disagree substantially on this particular issue and both sides suffer from their own confirmation bias which makes it difficult to have civil conversations um about this topic but no i you know to the original question i Sadly, I think, because there's a lot of talent in Tesla Q, a lot of passion and a lot of brilliance and a lot of humor and a lot of fun. Um, I don't see another situation arising where this particular band of misfits um, gets back together uh, to uh, to participate in a, in a similar historic uh, uh, unfolding saga like this. All right. I, I think I'm 
somewhat disagree with that. I I think that just the all the Twitter following may allow it to at least stay together in some some sort of cohesive fashion. But I I do agree that it's highly highly unlikely that there will be anything close to the the passion that is directed towards the Tesla story just for numerous numerous different reasons. Um I saw that you were at the North American Auto Show yesterday. Did you have any observations from that that you'd like to share? Yeah, sure. I was at the Detroit Auto Show. Um, and I would say that I was, to be totally frank with you, disappointed. Um, it was a sad showing, actually. Um, Audi wasn't there. BMW wasn't there. Uh, Mercedes wasn't there. Um, it was predominantly sort of the big three. and just Japanese manufacturers and the Koreans. And, you know, if you look at the competition, Land Rover wasn't there. If you look at the competition that, or so Jaguar Land Rover wasn't there. If you look at the competition that is really coming up for Tesla, it's the Germans and Jaguar. The U.S., um, you know, GM maybe is one exception. Um, the U.S. manufacturers aren't really competing hard in the BEV space. And, Toyota famously uh, is waiting for the next generation of battery technology appears and focus still on fuel cells. Um, Honda didn't have much. You know, so I, I tried to document for Tesla Q the, the EVs that I did see there, um, but really it was kind of disappointing. Um, I expected a lot more. It was my first time going to an auto show, so I guess maybe I had elevated expectations. But I didn't see I-Pace. I didn't see the e-tron. I didn't see, you know, the cars that I was hoping to see because, frankly, I didn't know they weren't going to be there. I, I just assumed that, you know, the Detroit Auto Show would attract all of the auto manufacturers, but really it didn't. You mentioned earlier that you recently bought the Chevy Volt, and you've mentioned it on Twitter several times. Do you have any insights about your experience with the Volt that you'd like to share? Or Yeah, you know, I one of the misconceptions about Tesla Q is that somehow we're all anti-environment or, you know, funded by Big Oil and the Koch brothers, which is the biggest joke ever. If, if they're funded Tesla Q, I ain't got no checks yet. Um, the, uh, so I bought the Volt because I've, I'm obsessed and, um, and you can't run a Twitter account about an EV company without eventually jumping in the pool, I think. Um, so, I did a lot of study. I talked to a lot of members of Tesla Q and uh, Anton in particular, who owns a Volt, convinced me that it was an engineering marvel. And, and I think it is. And it's, it's a shame, really, that GM is closing down the Volt and, and apparently moving away from plug-in hybrids. It's a magical car. Um, it, it has 90% of the benefits of an EV and none of the downsides. It, it, I drive on almost... I've not yet filled the car up. I, I drive on EV mode every day. Um, you can go 40 to 50 miles, depending if it's the winter or the summer, on pure EV mode. But then you don't have range anxiety because you have a, a gas tank in there that exists to recharge or keep the battery charged and take over the driving when the battery drains out. Um, and so, you know, I, I drive my 25 or 30 miles a day. I plug it in my garage with a simple charger when I get home. And the next day, the battery is full and I'm ready to go. And so, but if I needed to, I could drive on a 600-mile trip and just put gas in the car, uh, and it works just fine. So once the battery's drained, it, it appears to get about 40 miles per gallon, so it's still pretty fuel-efficient. And so to capture 90% of my driving in BEV mode without any sacrifice whatsoever, it's you no know, range anxiety, it's a fun car to drive, it's well-appointed, it's well, the fit and finish is just fine. 
It doesn't leak when I go to the car wash. Uh, the doors open up in the winter. All the things you would expect with an automotive-grade car that GM produces. Um, and it was super affordable. You know, I, I bought that car all-in, net of the, the $7,500 tax credit, for $26,000, which is a lot of money for many people. I understand that. I'm not saying that glibly. Um, but $26,000 is an affordable mass market type price that is within reach for a lot of people. And you get an amazing car for that price. And so I traded in a, a German luxury car for it. And, and I would be the first to tell you that nobody would confuse the two. Um, but at the same time, it's kind of fun. And so, I, and, I, and of course, as I mentioned earlier, I, part of me wanted to run the VIN experiment. And I did that. Um, but part of me just wanted to show the Tesla Bulls that I, too, am interested in reducing the emissions uh, associated with my personal transport. And the Volt is a very economical, fun, um, viable, and economically affordable way to do that if you truly cared about the environment. You know, one of the things that annoys me about the Tesla Bulls is this fixation on zero to 60 times, uh, which I think is utterly misplaced if you're really thinking about the environment and reducing your carbon footprint. Um, if you're truly interested in the environment and reducing your carbon footprint, the acceleration rate of your car uh, shouldn't be one of the parameters that you use to brag about it. Agreed fully there. Uh, I, I noted just this within the past week on Twitter, there was, a, I think, a posting from a Tesla Motor Club forum or something where I came up with the idea, quote-unquote, to uh, put a, a small gas tank and charger in their trunk or their frunk, <laughs> which is basically what the Volt is. Uh, you mentioned your all-in cost was about 26000 once you netted out the, the tax credit. Uh, one thing, since early on, when I really started digging into the Tesla saga that, that I've noted, is that Tesla bulls don't, in general, and speaking in generalities can be dangerous, obviously, but in general, my impression is that most Tesla bulls just don't actually recognize just how few people can actually afford a vehicle that's over $40,000. Uh, I feel like the, uh, many of them are in kind of the California Silicon Valley bubble. And because all the people that they know can afford a Tesla, they extrapolate and think that the true market size for vehicles at that price point is far, far larger than it actually is. And there was a great, great thread on Twitter uh, over the past week that went into the actual market share of vehicles at different price points. I, I think I retweeted it. I'm 80% sure I did, but it was a great thread. Do you have any thoughts on those topics? Yeah, it's something I've looked into as well, and I agree wholeheartedly. And, you know, um, it's, it is sort of a bubble. I, I would suspect that when you look at the network diagram of Tesla bulls versus Tesla Q, a lot of the Tesla bulls live in in the coasts, and a lot of the Tesla Q community lives in flyover country. Um, you know, I, I I live in the Midwest, and I agree with you. I've seen the devastation of the manufacturing base out here, and um, there aren't that many people that can afford a forty or fifty or sixty or a hundred thousand dollar car. Um, and that's why when I said the all-in cost was twenty six thousand, I was careful to say that that's still a lot of money to many people. Um, there aren't a lot of people that can afford to buy a new car. Uh, and so, 
yeah, the, the market for fifty-five or sixty thousand dollars sedans that um, uh, of questionable build quality, with you know potentially very poor service to to support that car can't be that large. Um, this is a, an important point, though. It used to be, and I put this thread out early. Um, it used to be that to quote unquote deliver a car meant something. It meant that that car was built, it was built well, it was free from fit and finish defects and, and other issues. And uh, there was a warranty with that car that the manufacturer would support um, quite easily. You wouldn't expect to use that warranty for, you know, the first several years you'd hope of, of buying a reliable car. That to deliver a car and to account for it with gap accounting used to include all of those things, like a reasonable warranty reserve and the actual ability to get your car serviced if you need it. Um, all of that seems to be turned on its head here in this saga. And, you know, it's one of the perversions of all this, which is, you know, counting and accounting for deliveries uh, in the normal way when the normal way is clearly not occurring. Yes, I know Mark Spiegel has dug deeply into the, the warranty reserves and how how under-reserved it seems to be for Tesla, especially if you are to believe the number of issues that we've seen people tweet about and post about on Tesla Motor Clubs and, and such. Uh, moving on, uh, these last few questions are going to be more on the, the fun side of things. So uh, first from Teslanoid on Twitter which is an account that uses the old Domino's pizza mascot. I, I think that might actually almost be before my time, but uh, he asked if you could discuss part of the amazing journey of Frenchie gas bag. Yes. Frenchie gas bag. Um, so first of all, I will say that I'm actually a big fan of Charles Gasparino. Uh, I quite like him. I think he's a, he's a pretty decent reporter. Um, he has a combative style that I think is a bit of a caricature on Twitter. Um, but of course, famously, Charlie sort of waved into the, wandered into the Tesla Q story in the middle of the 420 tweet um, and all of that saga. And, and I think ruffled a few feathers of Tesla Q. And, and it was right around that time that my, my friend um, had taught me so much about Photoshopping. And I'd just begun to incorporate some early versions of things that I was photoshopping into the Tesla charts account and I decided to have a little fun and and just create the Frenchie gas bag account as sort of double anonymous um some of my you know friends on Tesla Q had encouraged me to do it um Elgato in particular is very funny and, and would occasionally feed me um you know funny French sounding things to say and, and Frenchie Gasbag was really just an outlet for uh, my my photoshopping skills and the things my friend had taught me, and and that friend also created many of the the more amazing ones. Um, this person is a super talented person across many dimensions, and um, so I think um, most famously that person created for me um, Inspector Gasbag, which I think is really just a gorgeous Photoshop. I had a lot of fun with that account, but to be honest with you. Um, running Tesla charts as as I do was already taking up a ton of my time, and I found myself not giving the attention to Frenchy Gasbag that it might deserve. Uh, so I kind of just killed that account and came out and admitted that it was me. Um, and I think many people in Tesla Q probably strongly suspected it was me. 
Um, but that was a lot of fun. I, I really enjoyed it. And I do, again, to Charles Gasparino, if he's listening, I meant no offense. I, I really do quite enjoy your tweets, even the combative ones. And I just had a little fun with that account. I, that, I, I laughed many, many times at that account. So it was fully just because you wanted to spend more time focusing on Tesla charts and not, not because anybody asked you to kill the, the account? Yeah, no, I, I wanted to spend more time on Tesla charts. Nobody asked me to kill the account. I, I was, I, you know, there are actually several members of Tesla Q that I believe have a second account that they sort of do things in that are different than the brand of their first account. And I enjoyed the experiment. I had a lot of fun with it. It, it got some good engagement. Um, but in reality, I, I, separating my time between the two and maintaining the, the different characters was just a bit taxing. And um, I spent enough time on Twitter as it is. So I didn't need two accounts to run. How recently have you eaten a Hot Pocket in your mother's basement? Um, I have never eaten a Hot Pocket. And um, my mother didn't have a basement when I grew up. I grew up quite poor. Um, and so I've never been in my mother's basement. She doesn't have one. And I've never eaten a Hot Pocket. All right. Another, another Twitter submission. How was the Koch Brothers Christmas party? Yeah, uh, I wouldn't know. Um, and again, I think we joked about this earlier. If the Coke brothers or big oil are paying people on Tesla Q, I'm getting shortchanged. And so if somebody is actually getting paid for their Tesla Q work, if they can DM me the wiring instructions so I can submit my, my account, uh, I'd be more than happy to partake in, in, in that. But no, I, I've never met the Coke brothers. Don't know anyone, um, associated with the Coke brothers. I've never received any compensation from anybody for what I've done with Tesla charts. I don't intend to, don't need it, don't want it. Um, I do it for fun and because it's my passion. On Twitter, sometimes members of Tesla Q will joke about Coke brother checks or submitting expenses to the Coke brothers. Uh, in a way it's, it's just bonding to yeah. point out the absurdity of, of the accusation. I agree. Um, and by the way, if I wanted to make money from charting and photoshopping skills, uh, there's far easier ways to do it than jumping into this mess. Indeed. Uh, uh, does your Twitter avatar have an origin story, like maybe a superhero origin story, or could you just dis discuss it a little bit? Yeah, so that is actually a carnival barker, and it's a bit of a joke. Um, you know, a, a carnival barker historically has uh, perfected the art of diversion. Uh, and so I, I, when I did Tesla charts um, as a social media experiment, I, I thought about it before I started it and had a bunch of charts in the, in the can before I started and thought about my mission and what my niche would be. And so I've never changed uh, substantially the avatar or the background pick on my homepage or the mission pin tweet. Uh, one of my, hypotheses, <clears throat> excuse me, one of my hypotheses for the experiment was it's important to develop a brand and character, to stay on brand, to stay in character. Um, and so that avatar is sort of part of my brand building experiment. And I, I was careful early on to always label my charts because some of them would be reprinted. I wanted to sort of have that watermark in there. And so I, I enjoyed the avatar. It's, it's a carnival barker. That's the origin story. I literally just Googled carnival barker and scrolled through images and liked that one and selected and kept it. You kind of touched on this a little bit earlier, but what other stocks do you like, bro? <laughs> so I, I, I don't. Um, I'm a big believer in real stuff you can own, which sort of explains my, my watch collection, for example, which is not actually, actually meant for um, 
luxury signaling. It's more, I happen to think that's a pretty good hedge against inflation. Um, I have um, income producing. And I've been fortunate, uh, as I mentioned earlier, I'm lucky. I'm in a position where I, I can spend more of my time and more of my days doing what I enjoy doing. And Tesla Charts is just one example of that. Um, I don't literally own any stock of consequence today across my portfolio. My portfolio is real stuff, bunch of cash, um, income producing assets, and um, private investments where I can contribute to the value creation through the application of my skills and training. Uh, and that's it. So I, I actually am not a trader of any kind, which is another reminder why you should never take training advice from a guy who has a carnival barker as his avatar on Twitter. All right. Uh, this was another question from Twitter uh, relating to your your wit and Photoshop skills. But what are some of your all-time favorite sitcoms or comedy movies? Yeah, I, I'm, again, I'm not, a, I'm not a typical person. I don't watch very much in the way of fiction or read in the way of fiction of any kind um i so i don't really watch much in the way of sitcoms or comedy shows i i, I kind of remember i guess cheers growing up being funny although i wonder whether it stands the test of time um so i, I don't really have much in the way of of an answer for that question because i spend most of my my sort of viewing time on Nonfiction stuff, uh, you know, old documentaries on YouTube and and watching sports on YouTube that you can't get here, um, and so I'm more, much more of a of a nonfiction kind of guy. All right, uh, and a final question from Tweet Tweaker: What's the favorite watch that you own, and if money was no object, what watch what watch would you like to own? Oh, that's a great great question. Um, I do famously have a, a nice watch collection again that's more of an investment i think on a sort of dollar per pound basis it's a much much more dense way to store a lot of value versus like gold bars even um and so um but i started to tweet out a couple of pictures of them to make fun of a few bulls that had um that had convinced themselves that i was um you know, uh, living in my mom's basement, eating hot pockets, trading in my pajamas, and um, running a five thousand dollar account or something like that, which Gasparino often makes reference to. So I kind of did it as a joke. I recognize that uh, misinterpreted it could be in poor taste. Uh, I'm certainly not one to flash my wealth around um, like that. I'm very lucky to have the, the the modest resources that I've been able to accumulate. To the specific question, um, I love all of my watches. Um, my favorite is probably the two-tone GMT, Rolex two-tone GMT. And um, the answer to the second question is two parts. You know, I would love a Daytona ceramic, but that's not a cost issue. That's an availability issue. You just can't buy them. And then if I was, you know, if I had an order of magnitude more money than I do now, um, the watch I would probably buy would be the Daytona Platinum. Um, but that's that's no joke of a watch. Um, you know, I think the retail on that thing is something like sixty or seventy thousand um, dollars. It's the watch that famously Roger Federer um, used to wear, and, and as as the spokesperson, at least at that time for Rolex, it's a it's a gorgeous platinum watch with blue dial and chocolate ceramic uh, um, bezel, which is just a gorgeous watch. So, but yeah, it's not Tesla watches or watch charts. So. Yeah, I have 
basically no background at all on watches. I, when I was in second grade, I was very excited about getting a calculator watch. And I actually wore it up through my 10th grade year, I think. And when friends started to point out that maybe that wasn't the most stylish watch to wear. Um, but uh, to start wrapping up the interview, uh, I saw last night that Elon Musk is ending the referral program for Tesla as of February 1st. Uh, what are some upcoming things maybe that you see being big news in the, the Tesla saga? Yeah, so first of all, I will say that I'm not surprised by your calculator watch. Uh, I'm not sure what that says about my impression of you or my bias, um, but uh, it doesn't surprise me. And, and uh, so I, I find that amusing. And, and watches are something that you, no surprise, can become deeply obsessed with. And I have, and it's consistent with my obsessive character. Um, as it pertains to what to expect in the near future with Tesla, who knows, man? I think, obviously... The next big thing uh, to drop is the Q4 earnings. Um, but every day I wake up and I wonder what's the next level of insanity. You know, on the specific basis of your question, the, the weird and sudden termination of the referral programs, I don't understand that. I suppose on first blush, it could be an attempt to drive more demand near the end of January here ahead of taking away in February by getting Tesla owners to refer more of their friends to make an order. Um, but that and the cancellation of the 75 kilowatt hour Model S and X are strange. Um, I'm sure there's a reason. They haven't communicated the reason. I, you could interpret it in multiple ways. Um, one other interesting phenomenon about Tesla Q and Tesla Bulls and the dichotomy between the two is how they can look at the exact same data and come to polar opposite conclusions. Um, so I'm going to refrain from overanalyzing the termination of the referral program until I learn more and read more. It just happened overnight, as you mentioned. And I, I think this will be the final in-depth question, but how do you anticipate the Tesla saga ultimately playing out? One, in a most likely case scenario, and two, the most crazy scenario that would not shock you? Yeah, well... Um, so obviously, I'm not long-term bullish on the value of Tesla equity, and I anticipate that you know one of my favorite expressions is you know, in the long run, um, the value that you create as a company has to show up in your accounting books eventually, and there's only so long that you can put off expenses and/or pre-recognized revenue. Um, and I do believe fundamentally that the company doesn't create economic value in its current form, and companies that don't create economic value can persist for a very long time, as we're learning, but I don't think they can persist forever. So from a theoretical framework, I anticipate that ultimately this gets resolved in a reorganization of Tesla that zeroes out the equity and perhaps reconstitutes Tesla, Tesla with a better balance sheet and a, a more reasonable mission with some you know, professional management that knows how to make cars if that's what they decide to do in Tesla 2.0. But that's just my personal opinion and, and isn't trading advice, as we've mentioned multiple times. The craziest thing, man, I, who knows, right? I mean, if you would have if you'd have just given me a readout of the headlines of 2018 on Tesla when I started Tesla charts, I would not, well, I would be broke because there was no way I would imagine that we'd still be at $350 a share here in January 2019. And if I had the headlines in my possession, in advance of what has transpired, um, I would be dead broke. Uh, so I'm glad that I didn't. Um, 
I have no clue. If you would have told me, I would, you know, I would become familiar with, with Flufferbots and Bussy Boy Soap and, you know, uh, all the other strangeness that has occurred and has taken off in this story. Um, I wouldn't have believed you, and so I, I probably will refrain from predicting the, the craziest thing uh, uh, that might transpire. Yeah, with, with everything that's already happened, it would be tough to top most of that stuff. Um, well, I, I think we've had a pretty good interview here. Uh, do you have any final words that you'd like to, to share before we close this thing out? So first, I would like to thank you for the invitation, and it's been very fun. Um, I do appreciate what you're trying to do with this Tesla Q podcast, and I, I've listened to them all, and you're getting better, and, and you're great about taking feedback. And um, I do want to thank Evacuation Boy for um, making this happen. If you don't follow him on Twitter, you should. Uh, and I'd like to just thank all the members of Tesla Q. Uh, it's been a great experience. It's been fun. I hope to meet all of you at some point when this is all over and people feel safe about revealing themselves. Um, there's a lot of characters in Tesla Q. I enjoy you know, almost all of them. Uh, and it's been a really fun experience. And hopefully, even with the Tesla Bull side, you know, when this is all down and the heat turns down, um, there's some Tesla Bulls that I've enjoyed reading on Twitter that I would like to meet. and. Um, you know, hopefully it ends in a way that uh, has minimal economic damage to investors and to employees. I fear it's not going to be that case, but um, that would be my hope. I wish no ill will on anybody, for sure. And that concludes part two and the final part of the interview with Tesla Charts. I'd like to thank him again for being so generous with his time. Uh, we filled out two episodes of, of good length, and uh, thank you all for listening. We will continue to improve the podcast as we go along. Uh, no guarantees that we'll top the interview with Tesla Charts, but we'll try to put out the best content that we can. Uh, this story, obviously, has news after news after news, so I don't anticipate any dearth of content. So with that, thanks for listening. This has been Episode 10 of the Tesla Cube Podcast. Bye-bye.